Truckado counties? <laughs> 32 questions. My name is Una. Andrea is Anne and Dunn. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. I know it's a bit rich at this stage to be even saying this, but look, we do usually take a county about seven years ago and dive into an issue relevant to that county. Um, and I'm really sorry to the counties we haven't done yet. It's so scabby and I feel very exclusionary and we will come back to them. But we do usually see where in the world those uh, county stories bring us. But in these extraordinary shy times, uh, we're responding to issues emerging from life within a global pandemic. This week, pandemic life and reality in Ireland has a limbo moment. As the reality of how these guidelines uh, that we're all kind of living with probably aren't going anywhere anytime soon sets in, how are we all coping with our social, recreational, emotional and professional lives being upturned? Is frustration boiling over? How is the mood shifting? Myself and Andrea are going to take a moment uh, in this episode to discuss how we're all feeling right now. First of all, thank you very much to all of our supporters on Patreon. Again, it's a new month, kind of. Uh, so if you've dropped off accidentally because of cards expiring, etc., get back on it. Um, you get uh, the joy and um, uh, satisfaction of supporting an independent podcast. Uh, you also get the Sunday Soothe, which is our exclusive Patreon-only soothing Sunday session. I think we need to sell the Sunday Soothe a bit more because it's actually maybe controversially my favourite part of our podcast. Mm. And it is where we just talk about good news, stunning, but also where we take Instagram or Pinterest quotes that have been overused to shite, that they've lost all meaning, and then we kind of delve into them a bit and actually put the meaning back in. Um, and they are, like, as someone who wants to study psychology, they're quite a little, uh, like, psychologic moment <laughs> technologic um, <laughs> yeah I, I, I there's lots of uh, real feelings and philosophical musings and uh, forgivingly short episodes I would say probably only around 10 to 15 minutes yeah we do have a a, a, a tenacity that's the wrong word we do have a, a habit perhaps of running our podcast longer than we used to, we would intend i rem do you remember when we did don't stop appealing and una would literally have a shift fit at me and producer producer andrew if we were over 30 minutes now we're struggling to an hour and ten sometimes <laughs> well i'm still very um anti podcasts over an hour but i'm constantly told by stupid facts and listener numbers that it doesn't actually uh, affect listenership. I would have thought it would, but um, I guess people have more time on their hands than you'd think. Or but, they um, like what they like listening to. Let's not make this an hour long at the start and uh, <laughs> get into the state of the nation. Andrea, what's the state of the nation? Uh, well, the nation is in some state, I'll give you that. Um, it was a very sad week uh, this week. Uh, we had the death of John Hume um, and it was a really nice uh, reaction. And something I was thinking about um, that we should talk about more is 
giving people these reactions when they're alive rather than when they're dead. I would rather live through all the stuff that was said about John Hume while I was alive. And I suppose that is, how do you do that? Can we start having pre-death funerals? Is that something that I'm maybe, that could be a new business venture coming down the line of Tropical <laughs> Popical? Um, Pre, pre-death. Tropical Popical presents pre-death. It just it goes perfectly with our like colourful nails. Um, oh, actually, it kind of does. Um, celebrating what you have before, but I think I would like to have a pre-death funeral. Um, and awake while you're awake. Awake while you're awake, but also uh, not to divert from what an impact John Hume had on our country, on the people of Derry. There was beautiful pieces. Uh, Eva Grace Moore in the Examiner wrote a gorgeous piece, she's from Derry, and also um, our Derry County Rep, Shaco, as he's known to me. Yeah, Seamus O'Reilly, yeah. He wrote a lovely piece as well in The Times. So there was lovely local um, analogies and uh, and then the broader, obviously bigger picture. Um, uh, so rest in peace to John Hume. Um, over in Dublin Airport, uh, all these kind of temperature checks and everything, um, that were being done. There's kind of emerging evidence now. I think Hickel was saying something about it that actually these things are kind of ineffective. So as we will be discussing in this episode, the thing with living in a global pandemic, you know, for the first time is uh, there's a lot of winging it going on, like kind of working with um, the potential solutions and evidence that you have at the time. Um, and so we have all of these kind of different um, moments where it's like temperature checks, there's a thing, test everyone, there's a thing, antibody tests, there's a thing. So, but it does seem that the temperature checks aren't really very effective. Um, yeah, I can get really hot sometimes. Um, newsflash. But what I do think is really interesting and something to bear in mind is that we are obviously winging it. And I do think there's a thin line to uh, not cross. Um, skate that thin line of not actually losing the rag when people are trying things and they don't work out yeah. um, and we have to be open to trying things and uh, not like castigate everyone for uh, things that don't work but at the same time when things are just stupid which we will get to later in depth um, then you can go to 10 What's going on in Ring's End? In Dublin, there um, is a 15-story development that is setting a dangerous precedent because the developer has no social housing in it, and there's worry that if this goes ahead, it will create gated societies all around the country um, that are uh, separating the uh, not different classes, but like the richer from the poor, um, and that it is something that we need to watch. And there is uh, people uh, campaigning against it, um, but I think it is worth keeping an eye on um, of how that goes. And obviously, with all the co-living stuff that's going on, there's actually people are taking to the streets now and uh, protesting outside uh, proposed co-living things, which at this stage we need to be doing. There is no future in Ireland for co-living and uh, as Owen Murphy has climbed back under his rock, um, who is the biggest advocate for them, um, I think it's time for, like, it, I, I feel like we need to be doing something more about that. And I know that there's planning and all that jazz and all the ways you go about doing these things properly, but actually properly is probably the wrong word. 
they're the ways that you do it by the book and mm. they don't be proper. Well, I saw there was a planning application went in for another co-living um, development uh, in Dublin 7. And um, apparently, I was reading a piece by Frank MacDonald in the Irish Times, um, apparently Dara O'Brien is a new Minister for Housing isn't too hot on uh, co-living developments, particularly when uh, we are living in a global pandemic and having loads of people share the same facilities and kitchens and so on is not very clever. It was a bad idea before and it's a bad idea now. Uh, so maybe we'll have a chat with um, the, the Minister for Housing in a little bit and see how his... Uh, his approach or or point of view might differ from podcast fave uh, Owen Murphy. Um, so let's put that on our little calendar. Um, hopefully we can bring that to you. Now, the HSE are telling people how to have sex. What do they have to say? They are telling us that we should be masturbating. Thanks, HSE. How cute. She sent me flowers. Um, or having some... <laughs> online sex um, and like uh, like I think this is I really like this story and I think it's so nice to see that our HSE health service executive are talking about masturbation and sex in a sex positive way who knew it would take a pandemic to get us to a sex positive position um, and I like obviously I don't want to say we're all doing it but like we're all doing it anyway but it is nice to that it is uh um, officially in- signed off on by a state agency. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be romantic, isn't it? Thank you. Um, but also to wash your hands before sex and maybe your bits too, um, for everyone's pleasure. And to, and it was very funny. But they kept, somebody was on the radio and they kept saying, "Limit sex to those in your house, in your family, or or in your household." It was like, "Oh, can you use a different word? Like just." Just have sex with your partner or partners or like whoever you want to, but just limit it or something. Anyway, go on the sex positive conversations that are coming from uh, the state. I'm absolutely here for it. VG. And now we get to the main topic of our uh, conversation today, which is the coronavirus limbo moment. Andrea, riddle me this. Um, tell me about what kind of thinking has birthed our topic today. So we have been having a conversation with ourselves and others about what's going on um, and how people are feeling and communicating online. And there seems to be this air of conspiracy Again, here we go, conspiracy world. But there's a conspiracy creeping in to conversations about what is going on with Corona and COVID, both nationally and globally. And I think um, where I saw this and I began thinking uh, like that as well. And I kind of delved into why am I starting to think that there's something more at play here? And then the more I delved into it, and it's the same as any conspiracy starts because of the way things are being communicated and what is being communicated. So it just feels like there's something being held back from us. And we've kind of transitioned from when we started in this, that it felt like we were all in this together. And I hate saying that on the Scarlet, but like, it was like, come on, Ireland, we're all, we're all doing our bit. Um, And that was down to good communication as like, 
whatever about Leo, you have to say that there was, it was a good, from a PR perspective or a marketing perspective, that was a good approach that got everyone doing what they were meant to be doing and getting, you know, playing by the rules. Whereas now there's all these gaps appearing of like, well, why is that? Like, for example, I just a couple of the things that have happened recently that have kind of confused people um, and, and left these holes that are open for interpretation. So what's happening is that people are filling these holes now with something doesn't add up. And what do we put that down to? We put that down to maybe our new Taoiseach is not as good at the L having the chats. Also, we live in a a digital age now, and it seems that our new government are not as on the digital vibes as before. Like Mm, That's a good point. Because we have like Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Everyone needs to kind of know everything. And if you want to bring people on board with you, you have to feed them information. So if you're getting just this one uh, press conference every like, what are they going? They're not even like, remember when they were every three days? We're getting them every two weeks or something. There's just these big, huge gaps. Um, And when decisions that are being made, like the uh, my main pet peeve at the moment is the restaurants having to close at 11 rather than 12 30 and that like I suppose when you look at the effect that that has on an industry versus the effect that that has on combating COVID you're like what is how is that going to affect COVID does COVID not infect people after 11 obviously I'm being facetious and I did a few tweets and people were took me at face value I'm a facetious sarcastic bitch most of the time um but there was but when you look at like restaurants who are losing 25 to 30 percent of their takings or after already losing 40 percent because of that hour and a half and there's no reason given it's just it's 11 o'clock um, and MFET said that they wanted it to be half 10, but the government went with 11. There's no explanations being given. There, when you also have the pubs, double standards, it's like the nine euro substantial meal. Again, feels like an arbitrary thing. And obviously there's the smaller pubs, but why are we not giving smaller pubs the opportunity to be able to answer the brief of what they're meant to be allowed to do? So there's no logical reason for that. Then you have um, entertainment seems to be seen as a fluffy thing when in fact industry and people's lives are dependent on it. And there was a tweet of someone was like saying as if our faculties of condemnation were drawn towards frivolity, whereas there's actually like a whole industry that are shutting down our pubs. And like I come at this from the empathy of a of a nail in of a businesswoman, a nail businesswoman. But like I am looking at this, I have no skin in the game when it comes to pubs. I'm not in, I'm sorry, LVA and VFI, but I'm not into pubs. I don't go to them. I don't really care. But what I do care about is be, them being given an equal opportunity to play by the guidelines and to implement things. And thinking about like. Uh, my dad who went to the pub he was a man he was like that was his social life he didn't play sports he did he'd go have a pint and have a chat in the pub and that in rural Ireland and someone had a go at me for saying this but like in rural Ireland if you have five or ten men from the locality and I've been in pubs in the country and there is only five men there they go in and they have social contact we're taking that away and there's no reason being given for that the green list like there's no reason for any of that like it felt like the new government took on that Leo threw them under the bus and goes green list that's not a great idea they're like it's your fucking idea so there's that then you have um, the hospitals are empty and we were told at the start that we were going into lockdown because of 
to make enough room in hospitals, yet their answer that they wouldn't be overcome. That's not the case. Um, at the start, we were reporting on only deaths rather than cases. And now it's like the cases have gone to 50. Well, of course, cases are going to go up. Obviously, um, we're testing more. But uh, the, I, I suppose the impact of those cases isn't as big because like loads of my friends have had COVID and um and I know that's coming again from a privileged position where we haven't lost anyone and it hasn't been more serious. And I'm not trying to diminish that. But I suppose if you're just going, we've got four to five cases in the whole of Ireland a day, that doesn't seem very much. And that's like, I suppose, from a personal perspective of someone who hasn't experienced that. But then when you see where the actual causes of these clusters is coming from, it's not coming from the young people who are being blamed for this. It's not coming from the pubs that are already open. It's not coming from any restaurants. It's coming from places that are already open in processing plants, meat plants and direct provision centres mainly. So it feels like the government are using this cloak of a pub or entertainment to cover their shortfall um, and and where they didn't have care homes coverage, they didn't have direct provision centres coverage, whereas they can easily throw um, entertainment under the bus because it's hard to say like, oh, we should open the pubs before the schools. And when you can say we need to get the schools open and throw a full industry under the bus, it just feels so unfair. Well, I think that's, I mean, very well said. I think what you're identifying is like a couple of things. So one is this maxim that was people were talking about when lockdown was happening, because obviously when lockdown was happening, we we're all on the same page. And there was this kind of mantra of like, well, you know, easy to lock down, harder to exit lockdown, because locking down is like a blunt instrument where, you know, everybody has to abide by the same rules. And then when you start to ease those restrictions, obviously, multiple different industries and sectors of society um, need much more sophisticated uh, instruments or guidelines or regulations that are actually um, bespoke almost to, to their needs. And the other thing is, um, I think with regards to the pub conversation, which we'll get into in a second, is that media is is kind of at fault as well. Um the story about hospitality in restaurants and pubs is a much easier story to tell. And it also has people who are readily available to talk about it. You know, you mentioned like the vintners there, any number of publicans, any number of restaurateurs, although media does have a habit of inter- interviewing the same people um, over and over again. But there are people willing there to, to speak about it. The clusters in direct provision are much, much harder story to tell. It's much harder to get access, literally. Uh, and physically to those centres, it's harder to get representatives um, from those centres to speak. Um, indeed, there have also been clusters that have crossed over to two of these things. Meat processing factories, actually a dog food factory in Nace, and the workers there who were living in direct provision. Now, people have been screaming and roaring about how direct provision was... Uh, going to be so vulnerable to this pandemic since basically March. And clearly, because there are clusters in direct provision, that hasn't been handled well. You mentioned the nursing homes there, obviously, because congregated care settings have kind of gone off the table in terms of where a lot of clusters are occurring. Um, you know, partly because so many of them were decimated with multiple deaths. And we're kind of just seem to be have, have 
like the conversation about nursing home are almost kind of evaporated. Um, and it's very clear that there were huge failings there uh, in multiple ways. And then we have the construction sites as well, whereas construction is able to go back. Um, yet there were three construction sites in Dublin city centre that were shut down over clusters of COVID. So whatever was happening in that context, whether it was people kind of bringing the virus to work or whether there was a lack of social distancing or whatever on the job, um, you'd imagine the construction sites are, are, you know, that have a lot of builders on them are quite perilous in terms of uh, passing this um, virus. So there's that part, right? And then there's also like fatigue. You know, there is only so much people can take. This has been going on for a long time. Um, I think people are getting very frustrated. I think that large chunks of people's lives have been put on pause, not just in terms of jobs, but even just in terms of lifestyle, you know, playing sport or going to a restaurant or going to see a gig or going to theatre, travel, all that kind of stuff. So there's a massive frustration. And when you match that with a new administration that is not good at communicating and in fact makes fuck ups uh, repeatedly happen over the course of its month long tenure to date. And then you think about, well, like in the context of like a lot of those cock ups around all of the things that we know, like from PUP to the propriety director's thing to the Barry County, like all of the, you know, shenanigans that have been going on. It doesn't really make you feel confident about whether they're handling this easing of, of restrictions or whatever, or lack of easing um, very well. Now they will say, well, that they're completely, you know, directed by public health advice and public health officials and, and that's all well and good. But I think that there are lots of um, lots of things coming to a head almost and I think people are feeling very frust- frustrated. So what what is the main, like for me, the main kind of issue at this moment and like this, this um, episode is all about the kind of limbo thing because I think we've moved, obviously we've gone past the severe lockdown gone past the like hanging out phase and now that there's no nothing else filling um kind of those vacuums in people's lives um it it does feel like a very discombobulating um purgatorial moment and that's why we're kind of taking a breath and 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 discussing it in in this way i think that um what you're saying andrea uh about the pubs and as you say you've no skin in the game and nor do I I think one of the things that is frustrating people right now is a question of logic if we go back to um, the uh, uh, statement from Michael Healy Ray our fave uh, about you know how does um, you know if you have a pint of Guinness in one hand and a cheese sandwich toasty in one hand you know all that kind of stuff like what's the difference and that's true. Um, and then Simon Harris's remark that cottage pie doesn't protect you against COVID. Um, not for want of me trying, Simon. Um, but so there's this logic issue that, you know, the nine euro meal uh, arbitrary, you know, direction. Uh, 
And okay, I understand that like certain pubs, if they pretend to be restaurants, they operate as restaurants. It does mean that people are sitting down that, um, you know, there's table service that you have a book slot and therefore it's a more controlled environment. I understand that. That's different from a nightclub. It is different from people milling around a bar. However, when the rule is illogical, and this kind of is the, goes back to the behavioral science stuff that we've been talking about all the way through this. When a rule is illogical, people won't abide by it across the board. And when people go into a pub and, you know, they're like, oh, well, you need a meal. And it's like, oh, right, okay. It just becomes this kind of hoop that you have to jump through as opposed to something that you can actually get on board with. And I think the lack of logic to that uh, rule, which as far as I know is a Fulch Ireland um, rule, you know, that this substantial meal rule, um, I really think that that lack of logic and lack of sense makes people, A, not abide by the actual thing, B, then actually get kind of resentful about how stupid it is, and C, crucially, the rest of the industry is up in arms and you can see their point of view because that like, you know, places that they, they was, they're, you know, the other pubs are saying the wet pubs or whatever are saying, you know, give us an opportunity to abide by the guidelines um, and, and, you know, let's see how we can do it. And uh, then also it's like all of the focus is on pubs because, um, the government is obviously far less comfortable in discussing where clusters are actually happening. For example, direct provision centres and media knows that this is a story that they can tell, you know, in a much more easy way. But the other thing is everybody knows that loads even though there's this narrative of like, you know, 99.9% of bars are operating as restaurants or abiding by, um, you know, the, the regulations or whatever. Every, certainly in, in Dublin City, in Dublin City, everybody knows people and places where you can drink without ordering food, when you, where you can stay for longer than your allotted time, um, where you can just like order, uh, a meal between a few people so because that is culture now huh like like lock-in culture yeah so because that is happening what is the point of then saying well no like it has to be about restaurant or bars operating as restaurants and blah 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 when that like there's loads of places where that isn't happening so I totally understand where the the kind of the pubs that don't serve food are coming from, because not only are they being screwed in that they're not allowed being uh, open, surely they too know that there are plenty of bars around the place who are saying, oh, we have a kitchen and we're serving pizzas and whatever chips or whatever it is. But, you know, or, fully you can walk into. And they're getting deliveries from local takeaways, bringing food to the venues. Well, I actually think that that's a pretty good idea. I mean, you know, when you think about it, an awful lot more pubs could open and restaurants could be at a bigger capacity if they were teaming up the local restaurants and doing a little sharesies vibe. I think that's lovely, but it goes against the perceived 
point of what the reasoning to have these meals was. It was because people who could serve the food had table service, had bigger spaces, had maitre d's, etc. that could do that. So it actually is not about the food, which that is what is frustrating. And I like I don't actually want to talk about just the pubs because Again, it's taking away from the bigger picture of where the clusters actually are. But I know from when we were due to open up, it was so frustrating for us because we were being thrown into a bigger like beauty industry thing of people who were giving facials. Whereas we could put up our barriers. We had masks on all the girls and we're literally washing hands and then we could do nails. So it was so frustrating because you're like, just let us be able, because we can deliver and you're not giving us the opportunity. And that is what I think is so frustrating about the other half of the pubs who are like, we've all this in place. We've got, we've gotten delivery of our uh, beer and whatever you get in pubs uh, three times. And we've had to send it back. And I understand that obviously whatever is good for public health and I am very on board with that but just taking the logic out of it is so frustrating and I think that's what's frustrating. Yeah it, it all com- it all comes back to the fact that the criteria at the outset was flawed therefore every, sing- every single thing that kind of flows from that gets kind of quite bumbling because your 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 kind of idea at the outset was flawed you know and and that's what it keeps coming back to. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that just but I'm not saying that just sorry, what are you saying? That makes the restaurant the changing of the restaurant time from half twelve to eleven more frustrating because yeah. it's what is even the no one's even made a comment about why that has been implemented. The Restaurants Association of Ireland are literally coming out going, Can you actually just tell us why the hell you're cutting our service time that's already been chomped by this twenty five percent? Not one word of logic has come in explanation of that. So here's the the other side of it all. And and leaving aside the fact that things have been um you know, kind of botched a little bit and that people are frustrated and they keep going back to this, you know, ridiculously illogical thing around meals and stuff like that. Because ultimately it's like the the criteria should be have as few people as possible gathering in indoor spaces. When they are gathering, make sure it's for a short period of time and distanced, have people wearing masks that like, I mean, that is the, the, the advice and whether you do that, if you're having if if you do like whether you say actually we also know that when people drink alcohol they're you know they take more risks they let their guard down they're not as attentive to guidelines so you know you know it could be a situation of like why didn't they just open everything and have a two drink limit for example you know and just have have distancing and and um so people could go in know they're having their two drinks in you know an hour and 20 minutes or something and leave um, and, you know, and have that be table service as well. Like you don't need to serve food to have table service as anyone who's been in the VIP area of the right venue would know. Um, but anyway, um, but, but here's, here, here's, here's the thing, right? I know that you were talking about, um, the cases and, and all that kind of stuff. Like the reason that the things that you're citing around, you know, the hospitals aren't overwhelmed and there aren't uh, a tremendous amount of cases at the moment is because of all of this stuff that we're doing. So it goes without saying that as you open up society, infections will rise. Let's go back a little bit 
um, I think it was the 14th of March uh, was the first reported death uh, from uh, COVID-19. Those deaths peaked then uh, across April um, and 1,763 people have, have died in Ireland, which is a horrific, horrific number. Um, and it doesn't matter that it's, you know, lower than other countries who are doing quote unquote worse or anything like that, but it is horrific. Um, there have been 26,303 cases, 24,000 of those have recovered. For the most part, um, maybe this is a little unfair to Dublin, but I think it's kind of the, the figures kind of do speak for themselves. For the most part, this is um, much better a much bigger problem in Dublin than it is elsewhere. Uh, 12,609 cases in Dublin. Um, and then, you know, it kind of collapses really to uh, like 1,651 in Kildare. There's about 1,500 in Cork. Cavan, uh, very high number for its size, 1,153. The oh, lowest... That is a cumulative figure. Somebody was explaining to me that... that Dublin had a balloon at the start, but it has petered out over time. So. Yeah, and 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 in recent uh, days and weeks, I think it's mostly one. There's only one in four of the cases are in Dublin. So so the virus has become more suppressed. Although it goes without saying that more heavily populated and um, you know areas with higher population density will it'll travel faster. Like that's just um, kind of logical. But the lowest figures are in Waterford, Wexford, Sligo, Leitrim, Carlow. There have been no new deaths at the time of recording for 10 days in a row. Most of the new recent cases are uh, younger than what we traditionally deem to be people who are more vulnerable to to COVID-19. So 81% of new recent cases are amongst people who are under 45 years old. Most of them are male. Most of them are related to previous cases. So this is where you get the clustering thing. So um, I think on uh, Wednesday, there was 50 new cases, 42 of those related to previous ongoing outbreaks or close con- contacts of, the, of those outbreaks. But there were four cases that were um, classified as community transmission. And this is the point where it's kind of all well and good to say, well, everything's fine. I'll just, you know, peek out the door and then I'll step out the door and then there's an oncoming train. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's only, it's only under control because it has been controlled. Um, and with regards to there being very low number of cases now, well, you could also go back to the start of March and say, well, you know, there's, there's hardly any cases we don't need to do. We do, you know, this, it, it, it's, you know, the, the, the more Action we go out... Results. Huh? Action begets results. Yeah. So because of what we've done, we've gotten to a point where we have these results. Yeah. And um, I think that the things that have happened in... Like the community transmission thing is is the most worrying thing because that's really when they don't know what the source of the infection is so that it's much harder to control and it's much harder to contact trace. Nevertheless, people in Ireland have been extraordinarily cooperative with all of these kind of lockdown rules. And I mean, if you look over at the UK, there's like bajillions of raves every weekend and and there just seems to be a more cavalier attitude towards it from the population point of view. Now, I understand why that is because their leadership is so terrible. 
they're changing, you know, breakneck speed all, all the time. And so you wouldn't really know what to think. Whereas we, our collective leadership as, as people ourselves has been much stronger. You could really see that in the number of people who downloaded the contract tracing app, for example. Um, but cracks have begun to show in that and I don't think they're showing in what our collective response is. I think you're right, Andrea, in identifying that the kind of cracks are showing in the process um, and that manifesting as animosity and frustration towards politicians, basically, towards the people in charge. Um, this idea of kind of localized lockdowns. Well, you know, if 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 there's a spike in Kildare, then why can't we just like seal off Kildare? Um, and and there there have been localized lockdowns in in the north of England, in Melbourne, famously at the moment, uh, in Aberdeen, in Scotland. But I think that because Ireland is so small, there's a perception that you know we kind of travel around a good bit. And that it would be quite difficult to lock down um, particular areas uh, because, you know, our county borders are obviously very porous. Um, and how do you police that? Um, and poli- go on. As you found from the bank holiday weekend, that the majority of Ireland were traveling around yeah. the weekend and there wasn't an outbreak as of yet. From we don't that, know that yet, though. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, um, so it feels like it's not the traveling around. It's, it feels like I don't think people have a problem with dealing with the lockdown situations and following the rules. And people, I think, will continue to do that if they're presented in a way that makes sense. But the, mm. taking away the sense is what is frustrating and the traveling doesn't make sense. And it just feels like we just need to keep shining the light back onto where the issues and clusters are coming from. I also, yeah, you're right. I also think that very little has um, come into people's lives uh, to replace some of the things that they've lost. So on a personal level, I'm really struggling, struggling with the lack of, you know, live art, basically. Like so much of my life is, and my recreation and socialising is made up of going to theatre, going to gigs, going to clubs, um, festivals, all that kind of stuff. And when so much of your life, like actually pretty much, you know, almost every day, there's a part of it taken up with that and that goes, it becomes very, it becomes a struggle. And and that's not a, fr- a frivolous thing, you know, like that's actually really, really important to me personally, uh, not just to my job, obviously the huge um, financial and professional consequences of when you when you write about the arts and the arts are not happening, uh, that poses its own issues. But on a personal level of like for one's mental health, for emotional health, and also for your personal creativity, you know, when there's nothing going in, it's very hard to put anything out in a way. So it can become very demotivating. You can feel very uninspired, very uncreative. But you know what it makes me feel like? Go on. It makes me, and this is really going to sound really depressing, but it makes me ask the question, what is the point of life? Mm. Because the point of life so much is about creating or consuming create people's creations. And when you take that out of the mix and you're left with just surviving by working and and going to bed and it makes it very hard to be able to say 
is this it? This is life. Yeah. And yeah. when there's no end to that insight and that this is just going and it's the struggle to put the meaning back into life when the meaning is taken away. Um, and that we aren't just here to exist. We are here to flourish and to spread joy and to um, love. And like, obviously you can still love once you masturbate or do it by online sex. Um, but if you're doing, if you have taken the meaning out of life, and I do think the meaning of life for so many people is art. It yeah. is music. It is creating. It's not sitting at a desk from nine to five. That is not the meaning of life. And yeah. that's all you're left with to get on with. How do you how do you see the future? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are having those thoughts right now, you know, um, the kind of the pointlessness of, you know, the day to day uh, gets very exposed when there's no crack and no creativity and no surprise and no spontaneity. Um, this is also an issue about the leadership within um, our cities. Uh, although I think Cork is doing a, a pretty good job. Um, I know that, um, in Galway, obviously they had, you know, really devastatingly, um, had to completely kind of upend the culture, um, the city of culture, uh, 2020 celebrations and exhibitions and installations and all the kind of stuff they're going to do, although they are still doing parts of it, including John Jared's um, mirrored pavilion and things like that. And I was watching uh, the news the other night and I think it was um, the Lord Mayor of Cork or the, or actually, no, I think it was the CEO of the the council. So like their own Keegan, let's say, um, who she was talking about, you know, all of the uh, outdoor dining on Princess Street. And they seem to have done a really great job down there in Dublin. Um, there seems to be a real lack of leadership and cohesion, not just from the council, um, who are, who are, you know, getting a lot of praise for doing kind of basic things, but good things like cycle lanes and pedestrianizing small streets and things like that. There seems to be a lack of leadership there and also a lack of cohesion amongst like publicans and vintners and, and restaurateurs who are for the most part, you know, understandably giving out, uh, a lot of the time just, you know, giving out repeatedly about there being no tourists, which is where they used to make their money. And it's like, well, that's gone now. So, you know, kind of to get with something else. I know that's very harsh, but that's just the situation. One would have thought at this point when the kind of spontaneous, free, socializing part of the pandemic, the novelty of that wore off, you know, everyone hanging out in parks in front of their houses and all that kind of stuff, that something else would come along, um, you know, would the council turn around and say, yeah, we know everyone's starved at theatre, so we're going to do like Shakespeare in the park or there's going to be ballet along the canal or we're going to have, you know, open air cinemas or we're going to take the money that we would have been spending on festivals this year and we're going to have, you know, a kind of half open, half closed festival tent set up somewhere like at IMA and there's going to be, you know, limited uh, audience you know, 100 people or whatever for performances there every night, all physically distanced and all that kind of stuff. I think a lot yeah. of people were waiting for that to fill the space and there hasn't been much cohesion of it. Obviously, Dublin Theatre Festival, Fringe, People's Pavilion up at Emma, different things are happening, but it's it's lacking cohesion. And you're looking at spaces around the city like Smithfields, you know, massive uh, open air public square that is not being used at all 
and other uh, uh, things ar- around the city that the parks and so on are obviously being used by people um, just, you know, sitting around. But it just feels like when are we going to have the very much needed kind of recreational, creative and artistic uh, go- happenings occur? And it seems to me that they're basically just not, apart from in, in small sporadic things, delighted that Fringe Festival's Pilot Light Edition program was announced. Um, I understand the Dumb Theatre Festival will be doing some live stuff as well. Absolutely fantastic. But where is the kind of big, uh, free, accessible, citywide, um, you know, almost therapeutic recreational activities? They don't seem to be happening. Now, one of my favourite bits, today, sorry to skip ahead, is one example of the Dublin City Arts Office who presented a breadline production called My First Holy COVID, which was... Yeah, TKB, yeah. Yeah, so there was suggestions of it. There just doesn't seem to be a holistic version of it. And you would love, like, I look at life from a PR plan and when you have a brief like that, it would be so gorgeous to do an umbrella approach to that. And you would hope that maybe it's in the pipeline if they're testing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be realistic here. And uh, I think waiting around for organizations, institutions and cohorts of people to do something that they weren't necessarily doing anyway, or that you wouldn't necessarily expect a really innovative approach from them is kind of a mug's game. And I think that lots of us are going to have to figure out how we can create um, very helpful, you know, therapeutic, um, inspiring, small artistic experiences ourselves in a underground private capacity that is also safe and outdoors. Would so you I think say this is a call to arms, Una? Have you just <laughs> a call to arms to our listeners to let's start the Project Dublin and Project Other Counties, whatever they are. Joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been ages since we did a county. I don't know. I know. Uh, maybe this is the call to arms. Let's go. Yeah, I think so. I think that um, we need to kind of start getting together in small little groups safely and distanced and putting on our little bits in different places around the city because I'm kind of going out of my mind uh, over here. Now, there are some examples from other countries in terms of, you know, obviously we want to offer some solutions here in terms of what you can do. Um, Gigs are back in New Zealand. Um, There was a lot of like, because they're, you know, they're they're, uh, a approach to suppressing the virus was seen as draconian and impossible. You can't be quarantining people when they come into the airport. Well, guess who's laughing now in New Zealand? Um, They have their schools back and, you know, so much stuff back. So um, well done, Jacinda. Um, In Canada, there is uh, something called the double bubble strategy, which I remember hearing about at the start of lockdown and then it just kind of evaporated. And it's basically... Double bubbling is two households um, self-isolating to the point that they can then safely spend time together as long as they're not socializing in close proximity with other people. Um, and there's, there's, this is also was also something that was kind of being done in, in kind of San Francisco and, and 
actually New Zealand again was kind of the origin of, of this strategy. Um, and it's to do with, you know, the obvious bloody things like mental health and being able to hug your friend or, or family member again. Um, so that's something to look into. I, I, I wish we were getting messaging, more messaging from government that was proactive and that was about, like, yes, we know things are shit, but actually here's some things that, that we can try out and see uh, if they kind of alleviate people's discombobulation at this point. I wish we were getting messages full stop. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, I've never in my life seen such a... Sh- I hate using the word shambolic. I feel like there's been like this memo sent out to everyone to use shambles as much as they can. Um, but like, I've never seen so such a bad calm strategy in my, in my entire existence. Well, definitely um, the, or the government formation. Yeah. I mean, the government formation and Miho coming in and the general just like bolding up of everything thereafter uh, hasn't helped. Um, but in a moment, we are going to hear, because we we recognize that this, this kind of period of time uh, is very difficult for people. In a moment, we're going to be talking to a friend of the pod. Um, she's psychotherapist, Sarah Gilligan of uh, Capable Minds. You will remember her from previous podcasts. And uh, she's going to discuss with us about how to cope uh, during this period, why you might be feeling um, a certain kind of way and uh, how to get through it. Sarah Gilligan is our resident uh, mind reader slash psychotherapist slash helper in these times. Uh, she's laughing away there because she is a happy, grounded, mindful person, unlike myself and Andrea, who are both losing our minds at this point in history. Oh uh, S- Sarah Gilligan, how are you? I'm great, Una. I am great. Can you remind Hi. our listeners about who and what you are? I'm all the things you said. Um, I am a uh, I am the resident grounded person, and I'm a therapist. I work in Capable Minds, and yeah, I do a lot of trainings and workshops with people around multiple mental and emotional uh, issues that they may be dealing with. Great. Yeah. Um, I'm thanking pa- you right now with our mental health the way it is on the edge and searching for meaning and wondering where we are right now, what would you say to us? I would say do something that makes you laugh. Perfect. There you go. That's probably <laughs> all I would say. Pretty, pretty why, much. Why That's is a- laughter? Well, obviously we know why laughter is so important, but how, how can you, how do you, how do you do that when you're like so frustrated and just not knowing what to do? Well, I think we all have little ins to, to help us, you know, have a laugh with us as pals or watching something or listening to something or some people just get a great all laugh from their own heads, from their own thinking. Um, but I think there's something around accessing a way in. And this, I think that's what's really important about these days is that we need to be able to go in because I th- there's a lot of stuff going on in the external world. And sometimes accessing grief and accessing laughter are two things that really connect us and ground us to our own selves and our own bodies. And just as a little um, 
maybe fun, a more fun version, maybe having a laugh is the best thing to do right now. Mm. Um, yeah. The th- things that we're talking about on this episode, Sarah, are, are kind of around just this really weird limbo moment that we're in where um, obviously we collectively have had so many traumas and not least those who've lost loved ones in their lives. But maybe if, if that hasn't been someone's experience, they're still trying to cope with so many things not being available to them that they usually enjoy. Um, that includes relationships with fa- close relationships with family members or, you know, going to a festival or like being able to find like the lols at four o'clock in the morning at a house party or something like that. And you're not allowed to do any of those things. Mm. Um, are you noticing um, that kind of collective frustration and discombobulation creep into to what is kind of a limbo moment and apart from kind of the the immediate um relief from that from finding a laugh like how do we resolve that collectively like what should we be doing that would navigate it successfully and what shouldn't we be doing Ooh, i am noticing it um i actually am noticing it more at this end of things reopening than i did at the beginning of everything being shut down which is quite interesting to me. It feels like the limbo and the anxiety and the fears and the traumas are a little bit more to the surface now because it is, um, you know, this, there is a limbo as in, are we open? Are we closed? Are we, what are we doing? What's happening? There's, there's like a, a directionless piece happening. Um, it's quite interesting. I don't feel like in particular Western societies, I don't think we have ever really faced many difficulties to be fair. Um, I don't think we have ever really faced solid, restricted access to things, or we've never really been told no on very many levels. Now I know you can, we're not going to go down the route of, you know, Catholic Ireland and all of this. We've been told, told no many, many times, but in terms of a collective social movement and uh, going out and seeing people, we've never been told no. So I think... Or I imagine and I feel all of this is being, we're being hit in places around our sense of deserving, what we're allowed to have, what we should be allowed to have access to. And that's throwing a lot of people into a tailspin. And again, like the original thing that I'm saying, and I know I'm, I'm having, I'm, I'm both serious and not serious about having a laugh or finding a little space to have some grief. A lot of the time we try, or Western societies, again, we try to, fix an internal problem with an external solution. So right now, being still and trying to figure out what we create um, on a day-to-day in our own little worlds that has meaning or purpose or uh, has value of some sort is really important. Mm. Like the really, really, really small things, because if I, I really do feel like if if we're going to have to deal with this ongoing and in very, very many ways, I think this is the tip of the iceberg. I really do, because the next thing is going to be climate change and it's going to be huge also, as in it's already happening, but we haven't really been dealing with it. Mass social restrictions of movements and stuff is going to be a thing of, of the future. And as small little pockets of communities that we have, say in Ireland and Dublin and, you know, around this lovely island that we have, we need to be able to sit and, and, and feel and sit and express our thoughts, whether that is with ourselves first as individuals, and then we go out exter- external to that. 
Is Ireland acting like a big teenager at the moment? <laughs> that, that we're kind of grounded and we're just a bit fucked off about that. Oh, I think so. It's kind of hilarious. I, I keep going back to the word deserving. Why just, why do we, what, uh, what is it as humans that we walk around thinking that we deserve things? I really, 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 really want somebody to answer that question for me. Because, I guess what we're used to. I guess it's what we're used to, right? Yeah. And I guess and when something like this comes along, we've had five months of, of this pandemic to, to think about things. And now we're, we're, you know, we're being told it is a little bit safe. This is not, you know, things aren't being done to us for the sake of it. They're, we were being asked to mind ourselves for the greater good of both ourselves and everybody else in the community. Right. Whereas it feels like exactly what you just said, like parents have just told kids that they're grounded and they've just been grounded for it's like a, a week too long. And now they're all going, no, I'm, this is not fair anymore. And I, again, I just wonder about dessert. I'm like, really, what about long-term versus short-term? You know, a little bit more short-term sitting with discomfort of ourselves and each other and not having access to loads of, you know, going out and the difficulty, the socioeconomic difficulties that so many people are facing because they don't have jobs or they're losing their jobs for a, a short while longer to maybe preserve themselves in the long run. Don't you know when you... I don't, I don't know if you do know, but like, don't you know when you join AA? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that, but don't you know that uh, you learned the quote, God grant me the serenity to, to accept the things I cannot change. Yeah. It feels like we're in a situation now where we're trying to let go of control and how to, how do you tap into a greater sense of, le- of not being in control of things and letting go of things that are out of your control? Is there a way to do that? Because I think that's, one of the biggest things that is frustrating people. Yes. And it's an amazing um, little prayer that the, just to balance it out. So the second, the next line of that is courage to change the things we can, right? So the courage to change the things we can part is the part that we do have. So if we're able to recognize on a day-to-day basis that there's external things that we don't have control over, which don't even start us off. We can't. There's loads of things that are going on right now in the world and in government and everything else that we don't have immediate control over, but we can start making small little changes on a day-to-day basis. That's where it starts. You know what I mean? Well, it starts there and then we bring it out like we've done before, out onto the streets. We protest, we do whatever we can in our own little ways. But the frustration is that the external, this is my opinion, the, the frustration is that the external world is not doing what we want them to do or we don't have access to things in the external world and we have used all those things in the external world to calm and regulate our internal world. Whereas I feel like in this moment we are being asked to learn regulation on the inside without, mm-hmm. all, without all those things. And what would be your top tips to do that? Like how do you do that? Um, my favorite thing is being outside, <laughs> like being in water, going surfing, things that you really, really, really enjoy, things that you know that you have access to. It could be sitting down. I don't know how many people these days are knitting. There appears to be lots of people knitting. It's a new thing. Like little, little things that you know that for 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be an entire day. For 10 minutes of your day, you can self-soothe on the inside. Nothing is going to be a quick fix. And I am not suggesting that by doing 
the most, you know, these little tasks that your entire life is going to change. But your life will change. This is the thing, because we have stopped looking to other things to help that place. I'm, I don't necessarily feel like you need to sit for hours in meditation, but just to take a moment of contemplation on a day to day basis and just check in with yourself and go, how am I feeling? Am I anxious? Am I frustrated? Am I annoyed? Am I fucked off at society? What's happening? And can I just take a deep breath for one second? Mm. And that's the part around letting go, like the letting go of the stuff that we don't necessarily have control over. And can I get really centered in my world, in my body, in my day, and do one or two things that are really important for me, whether that's tending to your plants or okay, fixing something or, you know, chatting to a friend who might be in an even, you know, more precarious situation just for a second. I think all of those things are how we start to build resilience. I think one of the things that um, people get very frustrated about is that uh, they're fighting against the context. And I think, you know, when it comes to the therapy of like events or clubbing or live art, because it's not happening, um, you know, we're really kind of getting frustrated with, with the context. And I'm kind of reaching a point at this moment where it's like, I think we need to stop banging our heads against the wall of things that aren't happening and actually look to little things that we can do ourselves um, mm -hmm. from an artistic creative perspective. But at the same time, I think the dominant feeling that I'm experiencing at the moment and loads of my friends that I've spoken to are the same is aimlessness, oh. just feeling quite aimless. And with that demotivated or unmotivated um, and I was just wondering, how do you solve that? Because after aimlessness, I guess, comes pointlessness. Mm -hmm. And that can be a very dangerous uh, hole to fall into. Absolutely. And, and you're right, because I think that's because this is happening on a global scale. All those feelings are heightened. And it's, you know, there's some amazing people, as you know, that have written about all of these things. Viktor Frankl being one of my faves, obviously. Mm. There's a really interesting point that he made about when he was creating logotherapy around uh, various forms of depression. And one of them was around like a socioeconomic depression. And oftentimes uh, what he would find is that people that experience joblessness experience uselessness. And then when you experience uselessness, you experience meaninglessness, right? So at any point along that um, route, we have an opportunity to step in and check into our belief systems and think about how we've structured money. Now, obviously, we all need, we've created a society that we need money, but it, there's something around where have we placed that and have we placed our meaning on that? And when, you know, when we have, what happens when that's taken away? And we can all, you know, it, it doesn't take a pandemic for any of us on any level to be faced with any kind of financial difficulties or fears. And that's a huge thing that's happening right now because there's, we're hearing about the economy all the time. We're hearing about people losing jobs. We're hearing about all sorts of everything. And that's the place where uselessness and meaninglessness comes in. And we, it's our responsibilities as individuals to create meaning. This is the thing. It's really, really, really important to recognize that. It's not based on an external thing to do that or an external person or an external it's not it's that's that's reversed that's not going to work 
because you know what I mean it means that if that thing is taken away we're back to a sense of uselessness and meaninglessness Mm. really quickly so it's kind of about taking charge in small ways is it it's about taking charge in small little ways it's about maybe really going in and checking into what you believe I feel like this entire thing is based on our, our beliefs like what do you believe this world is supposed to give you? You're supposed to give it. We're supposed to be in a community. Why do we live in a particular way? Is there any point? Is there is there a tipping point that this society is going to be able to change? Do like if we keep imagining that an external thing is going to do that, like a government, we could be waiting a long time. That's part of the frustration. So a pandemic creates this, you know, removal of all these things that we have become so used to and we love. And then they're taken away. Now we feel kind of hopeless and helpless. And like you said, use or meaningless. There's a meaningless pointlessness to everything. So now we have to go back in and go, right, well, if this is how it's going to be for a period of time, what can I do on my day or in my day that gives me a little peek of something? Whether it's grief of the loss of things, the loss of people, which is super important, or joy at finding something in your day that you might not have ever found prior to this place Mm. because we were all so busy running around not everybody but a lot of people were busy running around doing work and speeding around the place not really connected Mm. and now we're being asked to connect sarah gilligan queen of the mind (laughs) therapy mogul uh, capable minds, boss woman. <laughs> Thank you so much uh, for that session. Um, really appreciate it. And uh, as ever, uh, really thank you so much for sharing your expertise and uh, calming understanding of the mind with our listeners. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Andrea. Tell me what is getting in the sea. Now, this is gas because I don't just have one thing this week. Obviously, I've been in a ball of rage. I have three. Wow. I know. Get ready. First up, uh, I've been watching some teachers on on the Twinosphere um, getting quite worried about the fact that they are going to be coming into contact with 100 plus students every day um, and students who would wear masks in shops, but not in school. Um, and the effects that that is going to have with no PPE for them and how they're going to be exposed and the stress that that is having on them. And I think not making mass mandatory in schools is a bit worthy of getting in the sea. Um, and some of their reasoning was, well, you know, it's not that comfortable to wear one for six to seven hours. Oh, no shit. It's not that comfortable to fucking lose our whole life um, by being alive, but also not being able to go out or do anything or work. So not making mandatory masks in school can get in the sea. Second, The Independent did a piece on Sunil Sharp, who was recently appointed to an advisory position um, for, he runs Give Us a Night for the Nighttime Economy. He's done extremely amazing work on that. Um, and we're at a point where this is a full conversation and there's an advisory board in place. And the Indo did a piece um, which basically went back to when he was 17, so a minor, um, and had a drug charge against him 24 years ago. And it was just horrific to um, 
not be able to a leave something that someone did when they were so young alone but it kind of is a bigger issue and so I think I've watched a few over the last few days people just randomly picking something from someone's past and when we talk about cancel culture I think there's a, a big conversation to be had about that a lot of it is bullshit but the difference between um criticizing someone and saying hey that's out of order them saying yeah cool I take that on board and now I will repent and learn from my ways grand but then for to go back into the past and go hey do you remember when this happened that's fucking bullshit. So if we can all refrain from dragging up the past for no particular reason, just be assholes. Uh, so dragging up the past for no reason can't get in the sea. And finally, uh, a number of gigs were cancelled. Gavin James was headlining one of them. Um, they were going to do a drive-in gig, which was a really nice idea to like for something to do uh, to get staff working, like the behind-the-scenes staff at gigs. Uh, have a bit of a concert that got the pull uh, plug pulled on it yes the other day gavin james posted a video of a drive-in bingo uh, with thousands of cars and it again plays on the fucking thing of there being no logic to the the rules that are being put in place so we have to say double standards can get in the fucking sea and now it's time for our smash hit item uh it's bananas Andrea, what's bananas this week? Like, I was going to do a whole segment on how bananas, the decision was to make restaurants close at 11 o'clock instead of 12.30. I feel like we might have gone on about it enough and that I might have uh, illustrated how bananas I fucking think that decision was, how there's no reasoning for it, how it's having such a drastic effect on restaurants. Um, how it may, it's such an arbitrary time, how, why we're so afraid of any activity after dark. The, it's like we're fucking in a Cinderella film. Um, and the fact that we're so afraid of the nighttime and anything happening and that we might venture out at nighttime is absolutely bananas. But also can the I, effect, go on. <laughs> can I just say something on that? I think there is a concern that is valid that, uh, places where I'm not talking about your, you know, the restaurants where people are just going to have food. It's more pubs operating as restaurants and all that kind of stuff that people were actually uh, drinking un- until late and that some places were maybe banging out tunes and, and things like that. Again, this goes back to people when a rule is arbitrary or illogical, people will find ways to get around it and that's where you get in trouble. It's a bananas reel. And I think making the 11 o'clock reel to combat that is even more bananas. You're literally making a banana fruit salad at this stage with the layers of bananas that are going on to that. Like piss off and stop being afraid of the night and stop being afraid. Okay, yes, alcohol does impinge. But if we are like, there's such this, weird world of not trusting each other and not being able to say that people are worthy of making their own fucking decisions and like okay the human nature of the world uh, if we are to break it down into percentages 80% of people will play by the rules and no matter what the rule is 15 to 20% are going to break it that's just the facts so you just have to accept it, uh, world, that the 20% are going to break it and how you can make it that the 80% will be the voice of reason. But when the 80% are getting pissed off with the bananas fucking rails, 
that is just, it's two bananas. And this is just a quick little banana. People who send their DNA and pay for it to be analyzed by Ancestry.com, you're all bananas. We give out about all the tracing and all that shit that's being done with our phones and blah, blah, blah. You're literally handing over like this DNA roadmap of your life and your family and everything to this company who have now, who have now sold all that data to Blackstone. And it turns out it's very valuable for 4.7 billion. Keep your fucking DNA to yourself, I would say. (laughs) Unless you're like masturbate. Joking. And then finally, this is kind of a side note. It's really a bit random uh, for us to be on this podcast. But the amount of influencers who are selling Dove tanning shit with like, it looks like, oh my God, I've suddenly found Dove and I just have been using it and it's so amazing. The marketing team at Dove, what the fuck are you thinking? At least make it seem like people are actually using it and like it rather than sponsored post and every single one of them at the same time. That's just a pet peeve of mine. I just had to put it in there because it's fucking bananas. And how is marketing gone to shit? Anyway, that's all the bananas. There was a whole bunch of bananas there, Andrea. It makes me glad that I no longer look at Instagram. Uh, Re-dove tanning products. Okay, so it was was everywhere. It was so bananas. It was literally like lads. Anyway, go on. Fave bits. Um, last week I plugged Good Girls season three on Netflix. I take back what I said about that because I watched an episode kind of late on in the series uh, last weekend and it has completely jumped the shark and I am no longer into it. So apologies for sent- selling anyone a pup there. Um, but I just I just wanted that little uh, clarification. So my fave bits this week are going to the cinema. I went to the Lighthouse on Friday night in Smithfield. It was all physically distanced. It was so great. Do you know what was really nice about it? It was just actually the feeling of sitting in something to do. The feeling of sitting in a different seat, (laughs) having just been sitting. It was like... have a little date maybe (laughs) (laughs) No, but I see I haven't gone to any restaurants or any pubs or anything like that um, because... Uh, I just don't want to. I'm not. I'm not really comfortable uh, uh, with it. Um, so, b- going to the cinema in a controlled environment um, was fantastic. And I'm going to see Sea Fever, NASA Hardiman's new film, uh, on Friday evening in the Lighthouse too. Support your local independent cinema if you have such a thing. My other fave bit is the Royal Canal Greenway cycle. Uh, which I did the other evening uh, with some pals from Broombridge in Dublin to the Liffey at Samuel Beckett Bridge. Uh, The Royal Canal Greenway cycle was, of course, made famous by a giant PA speaker falling uh, on or near Pascal Donoghue. Um, But leaving that incident aside, uh, it's really lovely and just cycling down the canal is gorgeous. Um, My other fave bit, community gardens. Um, I'm being very cottage core these days, but um, recently discovered a little community garden beside me where I live in D7 and it is so glorious and so nice and everybody's grown their bits. And I just think the more that, the better. And actually there should be like, I was about to say mandated community gardens. That's pretty draconian. Uh, There should be more community gardens everywhere. They should be like counted into new developments and uh, take back some of the nasty tarmac and turn it into delicious strawberries and tomatoes, I say. Andrea, Mm -hmm. what are your fave bits? 
my fave bits. I already discussed it. My first Charlie COVID. Um, I just thought it was a ray of sunshine and a gas bit of theatre popping up on the streets. And that is exactly, I think, where we are need, where we need to be um, and bring some culture to the streets. Uh, Fringe Festival we talked about already launched and the Bram Stoker Festival launched as well. So uh, loads and another children's festival. I can't remember the name. That shit. But three festivals launching in these crazy pandemic times. So uh, I really think a clap of the hands to the people behind them and that we should all get behind them as well and support them uh, in in these times. Uh, what This is the best bit I've seen all week. Uh, the five-time Olympic gold medalist Katie Ledecky uh, swam a full length of a swimming pool with a glass of milk on her head. Reaction to Oh, I saw that. Yeah, it was, it was mad. It's so good. Yeah, I would. I would tell everyone. I can't even hold a glass of milk without dropping it. Never mind, swim with it on top of my head. Halfway down my top, all my glasses of milk are. Um, somebody who's not half a glass of milk. She's a full glass of milk. Aveda is back. One of the best things I have gotten to do over the last few weeks is go back to drag. Um, we may have mentioned drag a couple of times on the podcast, uh, big fans, but yeah, Davina shows last week, Veda did her first one last night, Tesh, Bingo is on Sunday, uh, Davina's on Saturday as well, there is a wealth of drag, it's all very socially distanced and safe, and like, government members are even feeling it's safe enough to go, so <laughs> I would say, give it a go. The shade of it all. Uh, Herself, the film, uh, is one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, and it is being released in cinema on the 20th of October. And I would urge every single person who listens to this to put that in the diary and go and see it. Pedestrianisation, we covered. Oh, I just wanted to tell this top tip. If you love 99s, when you're getting your 99, ask them to put the raspberry syrup in the cone before the ice cream because the raspberry syrup is the best bit. When you get through the top, you're only eating ice cream and cone and you're sweating for a bit of raspberry. Uh-uh, it's in the cone. Wow, that's that is, great. that's really, really great. That is a great top tip. Isn't it unbelievable? Yeah. Like it changed my life and I don't want to be dramatic, but a lot of people got back to me when I did share this tip on my Instagram of how life-changing it was. So I just felt it was worthy of bringing to our United um, Ireland audience. It's the little things these days, really, Andre, isn't it? <laughs> So if you can find joy in something, raspberry syrup, it is for me. The deal by now, wear a mask, don't go on holidays abroad, keep your distance, be sound to each other. Maybe like, don't get frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) Such an instructive thing. Just don't get frustrated. Just just (laughs) calm down. Just calm down. Everything's fine. What's your problem? (laughs) Um, uh, just manage your breakdowns, maybe. That's <laughs> what I've kind of. I'm, I'm just more into kind of conscious breakdowns at the moment. I'm on the edge of a breakdown at any moment at this stage, so I'm just getting really good at letting everyone know when it's about to happen. So we're all supporting each other. All my friends are just in breakdown central, so that's fab, isn't it? God. Anyway, on a brighter note than a breakdown, our tuna. Chicken roll this week is an absolute tuna. Um, it's Irish. It's Gemma Dunleavy. It's a great story. It's called Up the Flats. Um, and it's an absolute 
tuna. I think there's a great video uh, about it. Um, one of our friends, actually her dad is in the video from Sheriff Street. Um, so yeah, Gemma Dunleavy, up the flats, tuna chicken roll. I've been Una. I've been Andrea. That was Pandemic Limbo. And we are United, United Ireland.
be shouting up the flats from the rooftop. We'll be shouting up the flats from the rooftop.